landscape in America is busted. Americans are on to the omissions, the half-truths, and the outright lies being propagated against we, the people. Your host, Tom Harris, will bring you the other side of the story. Canada's capital city, Ottawa, is on the verge of a self-induced crisis that cities across the Western world should watch. This predicament is being brought on by an obsession with stopping climate change, prioritizing it over real-world environmental, health, economic, and energy supply concerns. The forecast cost of achieving the city's net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050 target is astonishing. $57.4 billion to be spent over three decades between 2020 and 2050. And this is just the estimated direct cost. The actual cost, including spinoffs to the Ottawa economy and residents, will be significantly higher. The magnitude of the so-called renewable energy projects the city says it will engage in to meet its net zero target are equally astonishing. 36 square kilometers of rooftop solar will be required, a 161,485% increase over today's levels. They'll also have, according to their plan, 710 industrial wind turbines, each taller than the Statue of Liberty, and 122 large shipping containers of lithium batteries for power storage. To discuss whether this is even remotely realistic and what would happen if Ottawa continues to try to meet these goals, I have invited California-based engineer Ron Stein to be my guest today. Ron is the author of several important books on energy, including one with his co-author, Todd Royal, titled Clean Energy Exploitations, Helping Citizens Understand the Environmental and Humanity Abuses that Support Clean Energy, and I'll include a link to that book under the podcast. It was very important for me, actually, in preparing this interview. Ron is a licensed professional engineer and founder and ambassador for energy and infrastructure of the PTS Advance. He holds a Bachelor of Science in Electrical Engineering from California State University, Northridge. Ron's first career was in project management and engineering roles with major international engineering firms, Fleur and Bechtel. Ron works now to increase energy and infrastructure education, which is perfect for this show, and literacy in the wider public sphere. He is an internationally published columnist and energy expert who writes frequently about all aspects of energy and economics. So welcome to the show, Ron. Tom, good to be aboard. Yeah. Now, Ron, to give Ottawans a bit of an idea of what's in store for them, for us, really, because I live here, too, if the city really does do away with fossil fuels and rely on solar and wind power, could you tell us what happened in Germany? Well, Tom, you got to understand that nuclear, as well as renewables of wind and solar, only generate electricity, manufacture nothing for society. Fossil fuels makes products for humanity and supported more bountiful harvest and a measure of food security that allowed time and energy for innovation and the onset of the Industrial Revolution that allowed the world to populate from one to eight billion in 200 years. Right. Tom, the elephant in the room, no one wants to talk about, renewables only generate electricity, but manufacture nothing for society. You don't hear discussions or conversations by the elite or the media about the global primary use of products and fuels it's about to grow almost 50% between 2020 and 2050. Mm -hmm. As impoverished people from poverty 
you know, from poverty that represent at least 80% of humanity, and that's more than 6 billion people. And those 6 billion people are living on less than $10 a day. Mm-hmm. Oil consumption, you know, the source of those manufactured products and fuels rises in all the U.S. Energy Information Administration scenarios. That's the government organization that tracks it. Globally, liquefied fuels consumption is increasing uh, annually. You know, it's going to keep going up. The higher consumption forecast is primarily driven by upward revisions to global economic growth. Mm-hmm. Natural gas consumption, you know, for heating and fertilizers, con- it will continue to grow through 2050. Sadly, few in the media report or even have discussions that there's almost nothing to compare between fossil fuels and renewables. To add insult to injury, those so-called renewables of wind and solar are mostly made from the products manufactured from fossil fuels. Oh, is that right? <laughs> Can you give some examples? Like what, what, let's say, in a wind turbine or a solar panel needs fossil fuels to make it? All the plastics, all the resins, all the electronics. It's kind of like, you know, look in your house, look in their workplace, look in the hospital, trying to identify something that was not made with oil derivatives manufactured from fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, looking at Germany and Australia, apparently those, according to your book, those were the first two countries to supposedly go green. I mean, what's happened to (laughs) to their actual energy supply as a consequence? Well, Germany now has the highest cost of electricity in the world, and they have uh, shut down their power plants that used to provide electricity 24-7 that they're now considering to reactivate because, uh, you know, wind and solar are not providing continuous electricity to run their society. Mm -hmm. Now, I understand Europe was lucky that they had a fairly mild winter. What do you think would have happened if it had been a severe winter? (laughs) <laughs> this conversation probably wouldn't be occurring because they would be monitoring the news, be basically dominating the news. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I say, electricity cannot run societies. It's, you know, societies, militaries, businesses, it's, it's the products that run societies. From an electricity point of view, I guess they would have been pretty, pretty much in trouble as well. Right. Yes. Yes. So you take a, a place like Ottawa, which is the seventh coldest capital city in the world, and compare it with Germany, which is much less cold. I guess we'd be in even bigger trouble because, you know, the city wants to get rid of all of its fossil fuels. Like, I mean, even in Texas, and here's, here's an interesting sort of a comparison. Texas had up to 700 dead when they had their cold snap back in February 2021, and yet they did have natural gas. In fact, they quadrupled the natural gas output during the storm. Storm Uri, but Ottawa wants to get rid of it all. So you got two factors. One is Ottawa's a lot colder than Texas, and two, if we had nothing, if we had no fossil fuels at all. Um, like <laughs> surely Texas is a kind of a mild preview of what would happen here. Yes, um, you know, here in California, you know, Newsom, like like most governments, like that in Ottawa, have it really yet to comprehend that renewables and fossil fuels are not comparable for their support of humanity. Yeah. But you know, voters continue to support uh, the avoidance of these tough energy policy questions that it would expose, I guess, limited energy literacy. You know, regarding the high cost of energy in California, 
you know, voters continue to be complacent with the state government's hidden taxes and mandates that contribute to the high energy costs in America. You know, fuels that are more than a dollar a gallon higher in California, more than a dollar higher than the national average, electrical rates are more than 60% higher than the national average. Natural gas is like 30% higher than the national average. And, you know, California Governor Newsom, he may be experiencing a dangerous delusion of a global transition to just electricity. Mm-hmm. It eliminates the use of fossil fuels that made society achieve so much in a few centuries. From the proverb, you can't have your cake and eat it too, tells us two things. You can't rid the world of fossil fuels and two, continue to enjoy the products and fuels manufactured from fossil fuels. Yeah. In fact, I'm looking around my desk here and I've got a webcam and I've got a keyboard and I've got the mouse and I've got the computer and, you know, probably the paint on my walls, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, how many would you say items there are that we use in our daily life that require oil? Well, I think there's a list of like more than 6,000 to start with. (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) Yeah. Now, if you don't develop oil in California. And I take it that Newsom is pulling back on that because I understand California actually has quite a lot of oil in reserves. So where do you get it? I mean, are you bringing it in from other countries? And does that actually reduce pollution anyway? No, no. You know, back in 95, California, between California production and Alaska production, we accounted for 95% of the demands within the state. And California has been on a crusade to reduce in-state production. So from 95 to 5%, today, California is importing about 60% of our oil. California is the only state in America that imports oil from foreign countries. And that's 60%. Those tankers are using bunker fuel, which is a real low-grade fuel, pollutes tremendously. So when you calculate the amount of oil demanded by the economy, fourth largest economy in the world, it would take, I think, 300 tankers fully loaded to bring that oil in. And those tankers, when you calculate the emissions of those tankers, the tanker emissions annually, you ready for this? Is double, is double the entire mobile fleet of California. Yeah, so, so he's not achieving his objective if it's to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. No, he's leaking it to other countries. Yeah. And what he wants to do, he wants to continue to decrease in-state production, which would increase more imports, which would be providing more emissions to the world. Huh. So I guess Canada, the same circumstance. If we did not develop our hydrocarbon resources and we had to bring it in from overseas, we'd probably be increasing pollution and greenhouse gas emissions. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's just the opposite. So what's happened to California with respect to blackouts and brownouts? Do you have them very often after this transition? Well, it's interesting. This last summer, we had a heat wave. And the first thing the governor says is, don't charge your EV. <laughs> <laughs> so let's take a look at the EV population. In the world, Tom, there's like 1.4 billion vehicles in the entire world. And the entire world has like 12 million EVs. Well, that's, mm. less, than, that's less than 1%. Yeah. And with that less than 1%, it seems like all you read about is grid instability. Now, if we doubled that 1% to 2%, <laughs> it's going to get a lot worse. And mm. so 
you can imagine, you know, with the forecast that they want everybody driving EV. Yeah, it, the grid's not there. Yeah, they want to support the grid with wind and solar. It only provides, you know, electricity when the wind's blowing and the sun is shining. So what has happened in California with regards to electricity prices? I think you were saying double or something as a result of this transition. Our electricity rates have gone up to, uh, I think we're 60% higher than the rest of the country. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's interesting because environmentalists are part of the whole social justice movement. And yet it strikes me that if you double or whatever the cost of electricity, you're going to hurt the poor worse than anyone, right? Oh, yes. Right. You know, if you got the bucks, you can afford anything. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people setting policies, you know, have the bucks and it doesn't matter to them. I'm fortunate enough to where I'm highly educated with a high income. You know, I could afford to put a, you know, pay those bills and I could afford to put a hundred bucks in my gas tank. But for the people flipping burgers, it can happen. Yeah. And I imagine they're not going to be buying an EV. (laughs) No, no, not too soon. That's for sure. Now we're constantly being told that wind and solar power and battery backup is environmentally friendly. I mean, let's deal with wind turbines first. And that's the city of Ottawa favorite. As I said, they're, they're talking about putting up 710 industrial wind turbines. Now, I've read that the Altamont Pass wind farm in California kills 166 golden eagles every year. And it's been doing so for four decades. But I understand this is just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, what do these machines do to the bird and bat population where they're erected? Tom, uh, you know, wind farms, you know, they're groups of turbines that, you know, some are as tall as 30-story buildings with spinning rotors as wide as a passenger jet's wingspan. The blades can reach speeds of up to 170 miles an hour at the tips, you know, creating tornado-like vortexes. The American Bird Conservancy estimates that wind industry killed over 2,000 eagles in three decades. Right. And continues wow. to be a giant avion killing fields. And mm-hmm. industrial wind turbines, you know, those giant generators of electricity, they're, they're the greatest threat to golden and bald eagles. But the eagles, they're hardly the only ones threatened as condors, owls, hawks, falcons, and bats are all prey to the turbines' mighty blades. When I was testifying before the City of Ottawa Environment Committee, an industry consultant said, oh, well, Cats kill more birds than wind turbines. But I mean, cats don't kill golden eagles. Come on. <laughs> That's right. These wind turbines are in the, uh, you know, the flying zones of these uh, birds. And, uh, you know, by occupying large areas of the migratory habitat, wind turbines also have emerged as one of the greatest threats to large, threatened, slow to reproduce, and highly conservation value birds like the hawks, eagles, owls, and the condors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I understand the Biden administration, federal government, gives a kill permit to wind turbine operators so they can kill a certain number of endangered species. I mean, that sort of undoes the idea that they're green. <laughs> right. The uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife, uh, you can actually, if you have a wind farm, you can actually apply for, it's called a take permit. Oh, take which, permit. Okay. Yeah, which allows you to kill thousands of bald eagles with no penalties. Wow, wow, that's crazy. You know, I have a friend who actually has a, a conservation um, kind of a sanctuary, and he brings in wounded birds and bats and all sorts of things. And he loves bats. And he says that the bats are actually being killed at twice the rate of birds 
because the bats can die simply by flying in the low pressure zone behind the blades. And, and he was telling me that, that what happens is their lungs burst and they drown in their own blood. So, I mean, and bats, they're pretty important, I think, to our ecosystem, aren't they? Oh, yes, yes. That vegetation and uh, farming, uh, the bats, they, they eat a lot of bugs. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. That's what they survive on. Yeah. Now, what about when we're looking at the environmental degradation caused by the mining and manufacturing of the materials for wind turbines? I think that's kind of hidden from most people. You're right. And uh, you have to understand, energy is more than electricity. You know, we've had almost 200 years to develop clones or generics to replace the petroleum derivatives manufacturing crude oil that are used in a thousand of products and medications, electronics, fertilizers, the military, the transportation equipment. You know, the social needs of our materialistic society cannot survive without continuous, uninterruptible and reliable electricity from coal and natural gas, you know, is having them as a backup. All those oil derivatives manufactured out of crude oil, the oil is literally dripping in, in crude oil that's part of our daily lifestyles. You know, the mining operations required to build wind and solar facilities involved removing and crushing hundreds of billions of tons of rock and ore, you know, causing major habitat losses and widespread pollution. You know, it would also create human health health impacts, and especially in countries that do not have modern equipment and health and safety protections. And, you know, currently, you know, more than 70% of the rare earth minerals used in renewable energy is, is mined in China mm -hmm. or by companies under Chinese control. With much of the Chinese production coming from areas, you know, in Inner Mongolia and, you know, through substantial reserves in other parts of the world, this extensive mining is, you know, done by young and old. They labor for long hours under health, safety, and environmental conditions that would be intolerable in the mm -hmm. West, in industrialized, you know, countries. Filthy processing plants receiving little or no regular maintenance, cleaning or repair, which results in serious illness. Mm -hmm. yeah, and these are rare. If I understand rightly, the rare earths are needed in the super magnets on top of the wind turbines. Is that right? That's right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we, we become more and more dependent on China then by moving to these energy sources and also more and more dependent on environmentally and human ab rights abuses type mining and other manufacturing. You're right. This mining is dirty. And uh, I know in the United States, uh, there's, you know, I, there's never going to be a mine, a lithium mine in the United States. The environmentalists mm -hmm. wouldn't let it happen. Uh, mm -hmm. But it's okay if it's done over there because we can't mm -hmm. see it. Yeah. So, so, so can they recycle the blades? Because I think they're made of fiberglass, aren't they? Yes. The useful life of wind turbines is limited, uh, generally from 15 to 20 years. Um, but none of the decommissioning plans are public. Mining projects, oil production sites, and nuclear generation sites are required to provide decommissioning and restoration details down to the last dandelion. Mm -hmm. But governments and greenies allow, you know, a decommissioned mined oil and nuclear. Would they give them similar latitude to giving to renewable sites? No. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting because I've seen pictures in Spain of derelict stocks, you know, just the, the stock, just the tower and without the blades have been taken off 
when they finally concluded that wind power was not worth it and they just leave them to rust. I mean, is that the future of Ottawa if we put up 710 of these things? Yes. Uh, wind turbines, you know, they, they have an even worse disposal problem than solar panels. Mm. First, they're gigantic. You know, single blade can be longer than a wing of a Boeing 747 jumbo jet. Second, they're made of fiberglass, which must be cut by a diamond-studded saw to cart them away on fossil fuel-driven giant trucks. And as with solar panels, the only thing to do with them is to bury them. Mm. Toxic materials and all. This is done, as you can imagine, in enormous pits, creating yet another landfill problem. Yeah, so they don't decompose easily. No, no, there's not many options to recycle or trash uh, turbine blades, uh, or what options do exist are extremely expensive. Decommissioned blades are also notoriously difficult and expensive to transport. Like I say, they can be anywhere from 100 to 300 feet long and need to be cut up on site before getting trucked away on specialized equipment, which costs money before it gets to the landfill. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there's a two-minute segment in the film Planet of the Humans by Michael Moore, and nobody would accuse him of being right-wing or pro-fossil fuel. And he shows, you know, the environmental degradation, and I'll include a link to this under the podcast, of wind, solar, and batteries. And my conclusion after watching his film is that wind and solar are perhaps the dirtiest environmentally unsound energy sources on the planet. Now, is that an exaggeration, or do you think that's real realistic? It's realistic, but like I say, it's the elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk about. Right, is the products. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, now, would you want to live anywhere near an industrial wind turbine that's 40 stories high? Well, I think I'll let the public uh, give that information. Basically, Robert Bryce, he's done a great job of keeping record of wind and solar rejection, wind, wind turbine farms and solar farm rejections by locals. To date, there have been more than 350 wind farm projects rejected by the locals wow. and more than 100 solar farms rejected by the locals. You know, the NIMBYs are alive and well, not in my backyard, because yeah. it's, it just destroys the landscape. And, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't want a wind turbine in my backyard or a mm-hmm. solar farm in my backyard. I'd be one of the ones uh, on the rejection committee. Mm-hmm. I should tell you a story about a lady called Shelly Correa. She has a boy who is sensitive to sound. And so she moved away from Hamilton, which is a pretty industrial city, to West Lincoln, Ontario, which is it's like Mayberry. You know, Andy, Mayberry is a beautiful, quiet area. And she was told by the previous premier that they would not build any industrial wind turbines near her home. And she had doctor's certificates and things like that saying that no her son shouldn't be exposed to these kinds of infrasound, you know, because it's low frequency sound that penetrates the building and everything else in your body. Well, they built a wind turbine 60 stories high, 60 stories high, just over half a kilometer from her house. And she sent me pictures of it, you know, and it's just unbelievable. I mean, I'll have to include a, a picture of the turbine. And um, I don't know what impact it's had on, on Joey's health, you know, the boy, but she says these are awful to live beside. And that infrasound apparently penetrates buildings, it penetrates your body. So you just don't want them anywhere near you. I think there was a wind farm, I think it was in Australia. I'd have to do some research where it was. But uh, some farmers had a wind farm in their backyard, and it was keeping them up at night because of the mm-hmm. noise. 
and they basically, you know, complained, complained, and they got, you know, awarded a decision that was great for them. Those mm-hmm. wind turbines are required to shut down at night. Mm. Oh, is that which right? Is, which is when the wind is blowing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, it's similar. I mean, the fly zones for birds are in those areas because there's stronger wind. So, I mean, you, you couldn't say, well, then don't put the wind turbines in the fly zones because that's why the birds use it. That's why the wind turbines would be there. So it strikes right. me that you really can't get away from these problems. No, no, you're, you're basically going into their territory. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, concerning photovoltaic power, you know, again, I'm asking you an obvious question, but I mean, is this technology really green when you consider how the raw materials are mined and how the panels are made and eventually disposed of? Yeah, Tom, you know, the dark side of intermittent electricity from solar is that it's not clean, it's not green, Mm. it's not renewable, and it's not sustainable. You know, there are horrific destructive to vital ecological values that will last for generations to come. All the mining and processing activities to get iron ore and other metals that go into solar panels, manufacturing and transporting and decommissioning them, are all energy intensive activities that rely on fossil fuels Mm -hmm. and the products from crude oil and leave difficult waste behind to dispose of during decommissioning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting that in Canada, they're pretty impractical. I mean, think of 36 square kilometers of solar panels covered with two feet of snow. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, they're pretty useless unless you use gas-powered vehicles and stuff. To Like, I've never seen an electric snowplow, have you? Uh, I don't think I will either. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. I'd like you to know, use. I, I, I live in California. We have a you know pretty mild climate here, but you know you look at the weather in the Midwest and the East, and you know the winters and the, like say they're horrendous, and they get hurricanes and tornadoes, and you know, and then you want to rely on wind and solar for running your electricity and your hospitals. Mm-hmm. Give, give me a break. I, yeah. Well, I understand also another trouble with wind turbines is their potential fire that I've seen some pretty horrific pictures of wind turbines on fire and, you know, the blades just pretty well melt and the whole thing collapses. I mean, is that a, an issue as well? Yes. Yes. Yeah. They, uh, they require a lot of maintenance and, uh, you know, when they, you know, destroy themselves, they, you know, and then the fact that, like I said, they only last 15 to 20 years mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. there's no plans of how they're going to maintain it and you know recondition the, the site back to its normal condition like yeah. say the standards apply to you know other mining and major industrial projects they they don't apply to you know renewables so they mm-hmm. get away with destroying yeah, they have big gearboxes so they must use huge amounts of oil right but we're going to get rid of fossil fuels so that gets rid of the oil yeah, it gets rid of the wind turbines because you can't can't run them. So, <laughs> you know, after we have to go for a break. But after the break, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about language because you remember in the book 1984, they had a whole chapter on new speak and how language would influence the thinking pattern of the population. I mean, it's pretty clear that these so-called renewable energy sources are not renewable and they're not green. <laughs> they're not zero emission. Like all the things they call it are wrong. So. Can we start the second half by talking about what we really should call them? That would be a good idea. Okay. We 
couldn't go a day without washing our hands, brushing our teeth, and washing our nose. Well, wait, we wash our nose? Yes, the number one place where bacteria, viruses, and pollen enter the body is through the nose. So the average person breathes over 23,000 times a day. That's 23,000 opportunities for bacteria, viruses, and irritants to get into your nose and make you sick. For an extra layer of protection, wash your nose with Clear. That is Clear, X-L-E-A-R. Clear's drug-free nasal spray features xylitol, an ingredient proven to block adhesion of many nasty bacteria and viruses, and effectively clean, not just rinse like a saline, but wash your nose. Clear nasal spray quickly alleviates congestion, opens your airway, and ensures your body's natural defenses are strong. Read the research studies for yourself at clear.com. That's X-L-E-A-R.com. Protect yourself from the pathogens and junk you breathe. Pick up a bottle for you and your family today. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's chief medical board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like Freedom from Big Pharma. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be, with a company that shares your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Whether you're an independent, a Democrat, or a Republican, one thing remains true. Airborne viruses love us equally. You've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the advanced nasal solution, Cofix RX. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. Did you know that doctors and nurses have been swabbing their noses with povidone iodine to protect from airborne threats like colds, flus, and pandemic era strains for decades? Cofix RX took that idea and made a more complete nasal formula with lasting cleansing effects. Maybe you're traveling soon or going to an event. Are you concerned somebody nearby might be sick? Maybe the office or classroom stresses you out. Get yourself a bottle of Cofix RX nasal solution. Spray goodbye to colds and flus with a Cofix RX nasal solution cleanse. That's C-O-F-I-X-R-X.com. Save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD at CofixRx.com. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. was Henry Wadsworth Longfellow that said, lives of great men all remind us we can make our lives sublime 
and departing, leave behind us footprints on the sands of time. America Out Loud Talk Radio, liberty and justice for all. Before we return to the interview, I'd like to remind our listening audience that we rely on donations to keep our show running. We hope that you'll consider donating at icsc-climate.com. Well, I'm back with the energy expert, Ron Stein from California, and we're talking about the environmental and human rights abuses associated with the use of so-called green renewable energy. Now, Ron, I mean, like in the book 1984, it sounds like they're using language here inappropriately. I mean, are, are they really green and renewable? <laughs> well, Tom, I'll, I'll go back to the, uh, the book that Todd Roy and I wrote uh, back in 2021, the Pulitzer Prize-nominated clean energy exploitations, which brought transparency to help citizens understand the environmental and humanity abuses that support clean energy. You know, the book did an excellent job of discussing the lack of transparency to the world of the green movement's impact on humanity exploitations in the developing countries that are mining for the exotic minerals and metals, you know, required to create the batteries needed to store green energy and the wind turbines and solar panels. You know, in those developing countries, those mining operations exploit child labor, they're responsible for the most egregious human rights violations of vulnerable minority populations. And the operations are also directly destroying the planet through environmental degradation because mm -hmm. they have no environmental controls. You know, Tom, the interesting thing is one year later in 2022, President Biden provided validation to the book's message when Biden basically declared in, in October 22 that batteries from China may be tainted by child labor. Oh, yeah. Now, yeah. however, our government leaders believe that net zero emissions at any cost is more important than the environmental and humanity abuses that support clean energy. You know, President Joe Biden and I, my famous California Governor Newsom continue to support subsidies to procure EVs and build more wind and solar when those subsidies are providing financial incentives to the developing countries mining for these green materials, which promotes further exploitations of poor people in developing countries. Mm -hmm. I personally thought, I personally thought that President Biden and California Governor Newsom had higher moral and ethical standards that would stop them from financially encouraging developing countries from continuing their exploitation of poor people that have yellow, brown, and black skin and mm -hmm. further environmental degradation to the local landscapes in those developing countries. Yeah, so, so they're violating environmental justice, social justice, racial justice. All those things are being violated by bringing in these wind and solar and battery projects. Yes. Hmm. Wow. In a public meeting a couple of months ago, Ron, in my ward, a member of the audience expressed concern about the use of young children in the Congo to mine for cobalt needed to make batteries for electric buses. Here's what my counselor, Sean Devine, read out as an answer from the city in reply. And I'm hoping you can tell our audience if this makes sense, if it's even feasible. The, uh, the person who asked the question earlier about uh, the, uh, the 
the, the ethical mining of batteries for electric buses. So I got that question, like I said, from a constituent. I got an answer from someone at OC Transpo. I'll read the answer. Uh, the procurement of OC Transpo's current electric buses were in accordance with the city's general terms and conditions, which includes ethical purchasing to ensure minimum labor standards and prohibits child labor or forced labor. Furthermore, future, procure, future procurements of buses will also ensure that ethical purchasing, including prohibiting child labor or forced labor, is considered into any resulting awards of contract. Additionally, our existing electric bus batteries are manufactured by Exalt Energy, which confirms conflict-free mineral sourcing. Future electric bus procurements will also ensure that batteries are from conflict-free mineral sources. Thank you very much. Now, I'm, I'm wondering if this statement is any is realistic, because, I mean, how can they even know what's going on in the mines that supply the battery companies? And, and where are these supposedly ethical cobalt mines? Well, there is no conflict in those communities. This is their normal way of doing business. Mm. The, uh, you know, the human rights abuses impacts on producing batteries. Most of the current manufacturing lithium-ion batteries is concentrated in China and South Korea and Japan, where electricity generation depends, you know, on coal and other polluting sources of power. You know, we're, while it's possible to survive without electricity, it's not possible to achieve a high quality of life. You know, right. whether it's literacy, education, healthcare, public transit, industry, or entertainment, electricity forms the foundation of the civilized life. But everything that needs electricity is made with the oil derivatives manufactured from crude oil. Oh, yeah. The yeah. iPads, the defibrillators, you know, you need electricity to run them, but you need fossil fuels to make them. The UN Trade, um, the United Nations Conference on Trade and Development, has already issued a report breaking down some of the unintended negative consequences of the green shift to foreign countries, which includes ecological degradation as well as the human rights abuses. Mm -hmm. Additionally, the Amnesty International, they've documented children and adults mining cobalt in narrow made, man-made tunnels and the exposure to dangerous gases emitted during the procurement of these rare minerals, not mm -hmm. to mention the destruction of local ecosystems when the wastewater and other usable ores are let loose onto the environments that have no choice but to live in because mm -hmm. their wages are so impetuously small it caused me to take a step back and examine my moral obligations to humanity. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because Exalt Energy has on their website something their suppliers are supposed to sign, which says, oh, we guarantee that all human rights are respected and there's no child labor and all that. I get the impression that a Chinese company would just simply sign it and do whatever they wanted. I mean, or is, am I being overly cynical? Well, it's what, you know, the fact that kids are mining stuff by hand, that's normal. So they don't consider that an abuse. Mm -hmm. How, how <laughs> realistic. How realistic do you think it is that Ottawa will somehow get cobalt, uh, that is, get the batteries that are made with cobalt that do not violate any human rights or child abuse, et cetera? I mean, is that very likely? Or how can well, they even know? They, they, they don't know. And mm. if they monitored, uh, if you had a mine that met environmental standards and 
met the uh, had human rights involved, uh, it would cost would be humongous. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, the fact that they're bringing in reasonably priced batteries pretty well guarantees that the human rights and environmental abuses are occurring in the mining of the cobalt and other materials. There must be a reason why it's so inexpensive. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, where are these supposedly ethical cobalt mines? You know, it's interesting because after Sean Sean Devine read that statement out, I emailed him instantly because I was sitting in the audience with my computer and I said, okay, so where does the cobalt come from that is going into the batteries in these buses? No answer. (laughs) I'm sure it's it's because he doesn't know, but also the people who actually do know in the city undoubtedly don't want us to know. Now, this brings up the whole issue of human rights abuses in the supply chain, okay? I mean, we've been discussing this all over the board. I mean, the ethical abuses suggest that the switch to renewables, in contrast to using local supplies of fossil fuels, Canada's full of fossil fuels, I mean, they have high... Uh, industrial standards, high human uh, human rights, of course, is obvious. I mean, have unions and everything. I mean, generally speaking, it sounds like the switch to renewables is a switch to much, much lower human rights respect in general, away from fossil fuels. That's true. You know, in the best interest of humanity, we should require transparency of the worldwide environmental laws mm-hmm. and the labor laws are being taken advantage of for their non-existence mm-hmm. to support the exotic mining in these foreign countries for the minerals and metals needed for wind, solar, and EV batteries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that Ale Alamid, who's a black fellow who was running for mayor, when he was asked this question in front of the huge audience, they had a debate between mayoral candidates. He said point blank, he said, yes, we would have to have a complete life cycle analysis looking at the human rights abuses, environmental degradation, everything in the whole cycle from mining the materials right to disposing of the final compounds. And if they don't satisfy it, we would have to stop using these energy sources. And that's, I guess, what every city should do before they bring in these so-called renewable energy sources, right? That's right. You know, transitioning to all renewable electricity, that's not going to run society because- Society as we have today is, is basically based on the products. And I, I personally would love to get rid of fossil fuels if there's a backup plan. There's no well, backup right. plan. Yeah, and it strikes me, this is a recipe, and tell me if I'm exaggerating here. This is a recipe, to, in my mind, to mass death across the world. Because if you think about it, if we built up to a population of 8 billion on the back of fossil fuels, the materials not just for energy, but of course, for all those products that we're talking about, and you take it away, can we sustain a population of 8 billion? Or would we see hundreds of millions of people die if we really did transition to a fully green economy? Tom, you would be losing billions of people. Because today we got 50,000 merchant ships moving products all over the world. We got 50,000 jets moving products all over the world. We've got a medication system and you know we have the space program. We got militaries. All that goes away when you get rid of fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. And as much as we grew from one to eight billion, uh, we'd be losing people to starvation, malnutrition, weather-related deaths. Uh, it would be horrendous. Mm-hmm. So it's like I say, it, it's a 
do we want to maintain the lifestyle? Because getting rid of fossil fuels could be the greatest threat to civilization. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the human voluntary extinction movement would love this. (laughs) (laughs) I think any, any normal people would say, well, this is horrific. I mean, Ottawa, for example, says they want to lead the world. Well, let's hope the world does not follow Ottawa. In fact, a friend of mine in British Columbia, he said, yay, Ottawa, go ahead and do this, because then everybody will see what happens and they won't do it here. (laughs) So, well, I I don't say that, of course, because I live here. But um, has any city the size of Ottawa, which has a million citizens, has any city this size or larger actually ever transitioned to all renewable energy? No, no. You know, the city of Ottawa, you know, like the in California, I think they're experiencing a dangerous delusion of a global mm. transition to just electricity mm. that eliminates the use of fossil fuels that made society achieve so much in a few centuries. Well, that's you right. Know? Because, you know, as long as the city did it by itself, I suppose it could still bring in plastics and stuff from, from other areas. But the trouble is they say that they're going to be you know, actually contacting the different levels of government and encouraging them to push hard on their on their climate plans. They want this to go everywhere, which, of course, as you say, would not make our society even possible. And, and you know, in his book, it's called Energy Transitions, History Requirements and Prospects. Professor Vaclav Smell of the University of Manitoba, he provides a number of examples of the barriers to rapid decarbonization. He says that the idea that it can be achieved if you ever want to achieve it, because of course we're, we're showing how you don't want to achieve it. But he says that it could, the idea that it can be achieved in a few decades is a quote, grand delusion. Do you think he's right? 100%. You know, the national economies and the nation's militaries still run on fossil fuels. And both, uh, you know, as both World War One and Two historians, Russia and China, know, the country that controls the minerals, the crude oil, natural gas, controls the world. They both know there's no substitute for fossil fuel product dominance in the foreseeable future, even on the long-term horizon. To believe a transition to just electricity from renewables is possible, you know, from the products manufactured from fossil fuels. And act accordingly is suicidal for humanity. As former, yeah. Congress, former Congressman Don Ritter of Pennsylvania, he wrote, it's the real ex- existential threat to humanity. Mm-hmm. And it strikes me this might be why China is pushing the climate scare so hard. Because as you know, they're building coal stations all over the world, but they're expecting us to <laughs> cripple ourselves. But that makes them the sole source of a lot of this stuff, right? Exactly. You know, with limited income and and poverty status, China and India, they've got 2.7 billion people. They continue to pursue coal as their primary source of electricity because it's abundant, reliable and affordable. Those two countries are home to more than half. There's like there's about almost 6000 of the world's coal fired power plants in those countries. And Mm -hmm. together, they're in the process of building, you know, 600 new ones. You know, they're, they're putting their money on the backs of the most abundant, affordable, available source of electricity, coal. The United mm-hmm. States, you know, here, listen to this. The United States, we're the largest economy in the history of mankind. We represent 4% of the world's population, 330 million versus almost 8 billion. And we could literally shut down, cease to exist, 
and the opposite of what you've been told and believed will take place. Simply put, in the United States, every person, animal, anything that causes emissions or harmfully rise could vanish off the face of the earth, or even die off, and global emissions will still explode in the coming years and decades ahead because of the population economic growth in China, India, and Africa. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting because if you look at the original UN Framework Convention on Climate Change, which was signed in 1992 by then President Bush and our Brian Mulroney, Prime Minister, it actually has an out clause for developing countries. Article four says that the first and overriding priority of developing countries is poverty alleviation and development. And it was interesting because at the Peru Climate Conference, Conference of the Parties, the Chinese negotiator was cornered and he was asked if China would consider renegotiating the framework convention so that, in fact, they would not have this out clause, because currently they have an out clause. They can increase emissions forever, of course, because <laughs> the cheapest form of power is coal. And, that, you know, if they get rid of coal, it'll hurt their poverty alleviation and development. But here's the answer, Ron, that the Chinese uh, negotiator gave them. He said, no. He said the purpose of the Paris Agreement is to enforce the framework convention, not to change it. So it strikes me they know they've got a sweetheart deal, right? Yes, yes. You know, forcing the world's poor away from fossil fuels to wind and solar, that's a subject that's uh, worth discussing. Because China, India, Indonesia, Japan, Vietnam, Africa, they're representative of at least 80% of humanity or more than 6 billion on this planet. They're living on less than $10 a day and billions living with little to no access to electricity. American politicians were pursuing the most expensive ways to generate intermittent electricity. Asians and Africans, many of them children from the poor and less healthy countries, are being enslaved and dying in mines and factories to obtain the exotic minerals and metals required for the green energy technologies for construction of EV batteries, solar panels, wind turbines in the wealthy countries. You know, how dare we in the healthy and wealthy countries insist that we should limit poor countries' future access to fossil fuels? Cheap, reliable, accessible power and products from fossil fuels are life-saving and one of the best ways out of poverty. The poor and less healthy countries like China, India, and Africa are desperately in need of affordable, reliable, and continuous, uninterruptible electricity for their billions of residents. Mm-hmm. You know, we can easily observe the world's poorest countries to see what lifestyles are like without those thousands of products from the oil derivatives that benefit the rich countries. In those poor countries, there are about 11 million children in the world dying every year. Those fatalities are from preventable causes of diarrhea, malaria, pneumonia, preterm delivery, lack of oxygen at birth. Many developing countries have no or minimal access to the products from oil derivatives enjoyed by the wealthy and healthy countries. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. There was a movie called The Great Global Warming Swindle, I believe it was. And they showed an African economist. And he was saying, if the West insists that we develop on wind and solar power, that's equivalent to saying no energy for Africa. Do you think he's exaggerating? He's right. He's right. You have to remember that renewables and fossil fuels are not comparable for their mm-hmm. support of humanity. Renewables cannot manufacture anything for humanity. 
while fossil fuels manufactures everything for humanity. You know, before we rid the world of fossil fuels, what is the replacement for fossil fuels? Well, yeah, now that's interesting, Ron. I was looking up to see what did they use before plastic, you know, for similar types of applications. And one of the things, they used two things. They used ivory from elephants and they used turtle shells from tortoises. And I mean, from that point of view, surely plastics were a great savior of these species. Yes. Remember, Tom, we had a zero emission society back in the 1800s. There were no coal-fired power plants. There were no natural gas power plants. There were no nuclear power plants. And the Beverly Hillbillies hadn't discovered oil yet. Yeah. But, but, but life was short. People very seldom lived beyond 40 years of age. And when they were born, they very seldom traveled 100 miles from where they were born. Mm-hmm. That, in, you know, today, like you say, we've got, you know, the 6,000 products we get from fossil fuels, the 50,000 merchant ships operating the economy around the world, the 50,000 jets, the space program, the militaries. You get rid of fossil fuels, you eliminate the medical industry, you eliminate all the space satellites, all the electronics. This Zoom call goes away. Oh, yeah. Air Force, and, Air Force and One gets so- grounded. <laughs> yeah, and wind and solar power go away. So par- part of the answer this economist could have given is that Africa with no fossil fuel is not only Africa with no power, it's Africa with no products, it's Africa with no wind and solar power anyway. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Like you say, exactly. there's, no, there's no replacement. And like I say, you can't compare them because renewables only generate electricity where like oil doesn't generate electricity. Oil is 100% useless unless you can manufacture something usable. Yeah. And we've manufactured into all these products and our different transportation systems, the merchant ships, the ships, the jets, the militaries. You know, these militaries we have today didn't exist before 1900. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting, Ron, Climate Policy Initiative out of San Francisco, they actually plot where what they call climate finance goes. And it's over a billion U.S. dollars a day that they actually plot. And the vast majority of it goes to wind and solar power. And so it strikes me that one of the big drivers behind this is that it's a huge moneymaker for these massive companies. And so, I mean, it does seem kind of counterproductive for the left who, generally speaking, have been against capitalism and massive industrial complexes to be promoting something that is a massive industrial complex. (laughs) Well, and they're doing it through subsidies. And as I mentioned before, those subsidies or financial incentives for these developing countries to continue exploiting their people and yeah. to continue the environmental degradation to their local economy. So, so what do you think is the driver? Is it the finance uh, that these companies are making? Is it the political correctness that politicians are afraid to stand up? Or is it just simple ignorance? It's, I think, uh, a fear of conversations. Mm-hmm. That's the primary thing is... Because you have to have a conversation as to, you know, what's the unintended consequences of doing something like this? Mm-hmm. And there's total confusion, total confusion about energy and a transition because they're comparing apples and oranges. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned before, renewables and fossil fuels, they're not comparable because renewables yeah. only generate electricity, whereas except for natural gas, which can generate electricity and coal. But oil is never used for electricity. Yeah. Oil is only used to make products and fuels. Yeah. And so, so we've got 
we've got to really educate people in, in easily digestible bites. And uh, we're going to be actually announcing a project fairly soon that we'll be doing that because Ron put out a video that I'll actually share under the podcast. It got 800,000 views talking about much of what we're discussing today. So I think the main ingredient right now from our point of view is educating the public and politicians, right? That's right. And the great thing about that video, it's only one minute. So it yeah. doesn't take a long time and you can get a lot of information in that one minute yeah. view. Well, this, this has been wonderful. Perfect preparation, actually, for our meeting with the City of Ottawa Environment and Climate Change Committee. Ron Stein, he's a licensed professional engineer and founder and ambassador for energy and infrastructure of the PTS Advance. So thanks so much for being on the show today, Ron. Tom's been a pleasure. Yeah, okay. We'll make sure this audio goes everywhere. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> okay. This is Tom Harris signing out from the other side of the story. I'd like to remind our listening audience that we rely on donations to keep our show running. We hope that you'll consider donating at icsc-climate.com.